Hi, it's Lou. I just wanted to let you know about the Patreon membership I've started. It's a great community where I'm able to offer members privileges, like helping you to write letters and other advocacy activities that I can help with. And it's a place where you can offer suggestions for episode topics and guests. It only costs a minor amount each month, but it will help me to keep this podcast going and allow us to work together to help our kids, students, clients, the square pegs essentially, and that's the reason we're all here after all. Am I right? The link is in the show notes and the Facebook group. It's patreon.com forward slash square peg round hole and the word hole is spelt with a W. Then as many of you know as well, I have a Facebook page, again spelt square peg round hole with a W for the hot word hole. There's a private group, there's a public page and more recently I have launched a new website and the URL for that is www.squarepegroundhole.com.au. On the new website, there'll be transcripts, there'll be resources, episodes, advocacy projects, and obviously a link to Patreon and more. So thank you very much, everyone. Thank you all so much for your support. Bye for now. Thank you so much to Jeannie for becoming my final Patreon member of the year. So appreciated, Jeannie. Thank you. I would like to acknowledge that this podcast meeting is being held on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respect to Elders, both past, present and future, and to welcome you to this new episode for podcast Square Peg Round Hole. Welcome to Square Peg Round Hole, the podcast where we discuss diversity and how to embrace our neurodivergent kids at home, at school and in the workplace. It's Lou here and this is the final episode for 2021. What a year. I don't know about you but I am tired. I'm bordering on burnout and I'm trying to hold it together for the rest of the year. Obviously, if you are listening to this episode first, that's probably not a great idea. I recommend that you go back to the start and listen to all the episodes. Even if you think there's a topic that doesn't apply to you, I still recommend you have a listen because what I have learned this year is that there is something there for everyone, even if you think it's not going to apply to you. Every guest brings something new and different and interesting to discuss. So let's have a little reflection on this year. Some of the topics that have been covered. Well, we talked about ADHD with Dr. Maddie Derrick, who is a psychologist. We spoke to an OT, Carly Coleman, and we talked about sensory processing, DIR, floor time. And this is where we started to really understand neurodiversity affirming practices. We spoke to Melinda Gindy about twice exceptional people. Tourette's syndrome with Lydia. We spoke about learning disorders with George Perry, that's like dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia. We had some episodes on lived experiences. Uh, We talked about 
behaviour schools for very young children with Natalie Steinmetz. We had a special understanding with Tracy Devlin and um, we talked about adult diagnoses with her as well and Lighthouse teachers with Tanya Waring and Tanya's been a fantastic contributor. Teachers like Simon DeRosa shared his unique approach and even my brilliant family got involved um, where we had an episode with my husband Ash and my son Matt talked about his young adult ADHD diagnosis. We had our perfect storms, I'm calling them, Dr. Siobhan Lamb, who actually I had on for two episodes and very popular. Also, more recently, um, I had Christina Keeble, who I consider to be very similar to Siobhan in a lot of ways, but she's from Victoria. So, and she gave us um, lots of information about webinars and the National Peak Centre. We learned that autism is actually awesome with Shadia Hancock, who gave us all the wonders of a differently wired brain but showed us why neurodiversity-affirming practices are so important. Shadia shared lots of really great information about animal therapy, speech therapy, and their experience at school, which was unique. We even delved into the legalistic discussion with Laura Cottam from ACDL. And then we had Aboriginal mental health um, and the intergenerational trauma experienced by our First Nations people with the loveliest man, Darcy Brown. Salt of the earth. And he really gave us how it really is for Aboriginal people living with neurodivergent conditions. The highlight, of course, was our Mona Delahook discussion. I couldn't believe that Mona came on the podcast. It was just fabulous. She even spoke directly to the Australian government, but she was reminding us that we are certainly on the right track with a respectful, empathetic and compassionate approach to neurodivergent children. And of course, we also were so lucky and again, I was blown away to have Maggie Dent and her brilliant insights to early childhood and her messages to our education ministers as well. Early on, we were so lucky to meet with Mark Hunyor, who is a parent advocate, and he discussed inclusive education, as well as Karen Tippett from Family Advocacy and Lauren Swancutt, who is a teacher and inclusive education leader. They all reinforced why people with disabilities should be front and centre and not shoved to the side or segregated away from the rest of society. We also had a discussion about what I call the next frontier, which is employment for square pegs and how to ensure that they are not sidelined in this regard. And today's episode will take us further down that path. So in summary, it's been everything I could have dreamed of. There's been a new and wonderful website. I'm about to write my first blog and there's been such brilliant advocacy from us all and that has ended up with a meeting for me um, to represent all of you with our Federal Education Minister's Office. So I'm so proud of the guests I've had and I wanted to thank them from the bottom of my heart, but mostly I'm so proud of all of you and the community we've created to advocate together with a big loud voice, but also to support each other and for me to share these experts and links to practical and helpful information for us all. Many of my guests opened up and shared very personal and special information with us and I know they are doing that and putting themselves out there so that the square pegs can be better understood, embraced and so that the world can be adjusted around them. I think I brought you what I promised. However, this is not the end. 
All it's done is open up the world for more and more guests. Next year, I have such a wonderful lineup for you. You will not believe it. We're going to discuss more on future schooling and progressive education, inclusive education. We've even got people coming on to talk about therapy dogs and dog training, grandparenting, Soto syndrome, eating disorders, and how these issues all relate to neurodivergence. I'm also hoping to have Holly Wainwright and Kate Jones join me to discuss their experiences as well, so other famous podcasters. (laughs) So one more episode for 2021. This is episode 26. What a milestone this is. Today I'm talking to Will Wheeler. Will is a neurodivergent person and he reminds me of an Australian Jonathan Mooney. And if you don't know who Jonathan Mooney is, look at the book Normal Sucks. It's on the website and Dr. Siobhan Lamb mentioned it way back at the start of the podcast. Will is is the founder and CEO of the Neurodiversity Academy, an organisation that we all need to know about. This episode is like a part two from Samantha Nuttall's episode, which is why it's so important we do try and listen to the episodes in order. So anyway, I'm going to stop talking. This is enough for me. Will will explain more uh, throughout our discussion. And now let's hand over to the brilliant Will Wheeler. Welcome to the podcast, Will Wheeler. Hi, how's it going? It's good, thank you. How's it going for you? Yeah, you know, it's Friday afternoon. I'm, um, you know, getting closer to Christmas now. So I'm just really looking forward to um, maybe just having some. Oh, well, actually, I'm looking forward to going up to Queensland to see my parents. So we're oh, one I step closer to there. Yeah, so do I. I really hope they don't close the borders. But besides that, um, yeah, no, everything's pretty cool. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you're, you know, looking forward to the end because I can. Can tell you right now I certainly am I'm I'm actually feeling just a little bit burnt out so I think it's time to, to finish up soon speaking to a lot of other people I think we're all feeling the exact same thing yeah um so I look so. I, I really hope you know um you know next year we can really hit the ground running awesome well I couldn't agree more So let's get talking, Will. Let's get into your episode. I'm really excited to hear more from you. Actually, you know, I think we should confess, well, I should confess, um, we we actually did record this episode already, didn't we? Um, And some weird technical thing that... um, (laughs) We still don't really know what happened, but it recorded about a third of your your audio track. So I wasn't able to um, download the whole episode. So we're kind of there's going to be a bit of a deja vu feeling here. Yeah, totally. But- I'm just. I'm just looking at that was just a practice run for us, you know. You're a perfectionist, <laughs> so you just wanted to get it like perfect. So you know, you said, "Hey, look, that was good, but we could do it even better next time." So well, that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> got to go. Got to do better than what was what happened last time. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Why not for your audience? You only want nothing but the best, right? Well, that's right. So I, I, at least I know I'm going to get the best answers from you today and we're going to have a really good chat. You know what? Funny you say that because there was a few things I was like, oh, you know what? I could have answered that a little bit differently or I could have done yeah. that a little bit differently. So who knows? We'll see what happens. And We all do that. That's right. 
That's right. All right. Well, let's see what you come up with today. Um, so <laughs> we start with our icebreaker questions, um, as you know. So <laughs> once again, just referring then to the pandemic as we were, um, when the pandemic is fully over and you think you can travel again and you just mentioned somewhere you want to go yeah. soon, it, tell me about travel in general. Like where do you want to go next when things are back to normal? Yeah, yeah. So obviously I've spoken about um, Queensland, going back up to Brisbane, seeing my family. That's probably priority um, for all of us. <laughs> and what I mean is like seeing my family and me and vice versa. Mm. And, um, but you know what, I, I really do want to get, um, you know, back overseas somewhere where we can, um, you know, the UK or parts of Europe or the United States, I'd really like to get over there because over this, this, this time period, I've, I've spent a lot of time networking and meeting a lot of people online who actually live in those countries. So I'm really eager to get over there and, and really start putting myself out there in those countries. Mm. Yeah, it's been an interesting thing. We feel like we know a whole lot of people now that we've not actually met. It's it's a funny thing. And you know what the funniest thing is, right? Like um, living in Sydney, I like, you know, my partner and I, we don't really have too many friends here in Sydney. We don't know a whole bunch of people. I'm actually just trying to start a um, uh, a meetup group for um neurodiversity professionals and that's you know neurodistinct people and neurotypical people just to come together and you know meet each other because I just really want to meet lots of people because it feels like I know more people overseas than what I do in my own like country almost. Oh well that's awesome thing to start thank you for starting that up I would like to be included in that thanks. (laughs) Yeah come along come along we're thinking about having a wine and cheese um sort of evening at Barangaroo shortly. That sounds great. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that, but I better ask you the next question. The next question is, if you could have a superpower, Will, what would it be and why? Yeah, you know, I, I haven't really changed my mind on this question when you asked me this last week, and it's still going to be to, like, be able to heal people's pain. You know, like I said last week, like, you know, so with someone like myself who struggles with mental health, um you know I do a lot of things like exercising and and all that and and it does it feels so good but if there was something that I could like if someone could come up and touch me on the shoulder and it cures it without anything like that that would be gold right there so if I had a superpower that's what I want to be able to do is cure you know people's pain and just help them to you know really enjoy every bit of life well, that's a that's a really good one to choose. I really do like that. For so many people I know, I can relate to that. Mm. That's wonderful. Mm. And now moving on to um, the square peg round hole concept. Can you give me a, um, you've mentioned some stuff already, but can you give me a brief idea of how you relate to that concept? Yeah, look, I'm definitely someone who's different. I've always been different and um and I suppose not different in a in a bad way, probably different in is in I've always approached things differently. Um, I remember I was in like a like a, a rock sort of heavy metal band back when I was younger. And people used to be like, Oh yeah, you know, and, and sorry, you know, all the other bands used to wear like black and all this. 
And I remember turning up to gigs, like wearing like a bright yellow shirt and all that type of stuff. And, you know, and some people used to criticize me and all that type of stuff. But I used to think, you know what, that's who I am, you know, so I am different. You know, I do approach things a lot differently to everyone else. And, you know, that's where I'm different type of thing. A yellow t-shirted square peg. Yeah, yeah, totally, 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 totally. Just need to twist purple and then yeah yeah totally totally (laughs) excellent oh okay well that's interesting and so just to expand on that a bit more can you tell us a bit more about what your younger life was like like what was school like for you um you know what 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 was it like in the sort of teenage years and coming out of school yeah yeah look like I remember you know when I think back and I'm going to go all the way back and it's really funny because I have a really good memory for things that happened, you know, I can even remember when my brother, little brother was born and I was only like two something, you know. Now that's something interesting there. Maybe we can come back to that because I've heard other people, um, other neurodivert- specific neurodivergencies um, just talk about that sort of thing. Yeah, sorry, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, thinking back to say even um, kin- uh, what is it, preschool, You know, I remember in preschool, it's a lot about, you know, art and being creative and and all that. And I remember, you know, dressing up and all that type of stuff. And I remember, like, thinking back to those days, how awesome it was and all that. And I remember even going to school or the first day of school. And I remember mum being, like, real excited and all that type of thing. And I I was thinking, what's going on type of thing? I had no idea what was going on. And then I went to school and it was just such a complete change from what my life used to be to now what my life is now. Like I just didn't get a lot of the things that they were doing a lot of the time. And I remember in, um, in uh, you know, grade one, just sitting there not knowing what I was doing and my teacher breathing down my neck, you know, and... I remember like tears building up in my eyes, just thinking, I seriously don't know what I'm doing here and I'm getting in trouble for it. Yeah. Oh, gosh. But I remember that clearly. And then, you know, I remember that was really the first part of, you know, really realizing that, you know, I just struggled. I really struggled. And, you know, I was great at so many things. Like I I would do, I'd have this great imagination and all these things and sport and all that. But, you know, when it came to, to those types of things, I was really made to be made to look stupid type of thing. So obviously as, um, you know, as I went through primary school, same thing happened, different class, different teacher, And, you know, I started to become rebellious. I started to argue back and, you know, Mm -hmm. teachers would throw stuff at me or I'd throw stuff back at them. You know, I was, you know, a real, you know, bit of a rebel, you could probably say. But, you know, if if I didn't stand up, they would just treat me like crap all the time. Um, So that was the the person I became for a long time. And... um, you know, you could probably say I didn't take no crap from no one type of thing. So, you know, that happened all the way through primary school. I did have some good teachers along the way um, who were really good and supportive of, 
what I, who I was and what I did. And I did well in some classes. Um, but, you know, even during high school, it, w- it was the same, you know, mm. I'd have problems with teachers again. There were some good teachers and, you know, it was just this vicious cycle year after year after year. And yeah, yeah it just and takes was anybody um, diagnosing anything or. Yeah. Yeah. So I was um, diagnosed with dyslexia in grade uh, like I said, I think it was grade three or four. I really can't remember. Yeah, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. And, and it was interesting because when I was diagnosed, it was we identified that I had a very high IQ. So I was like in the top 10% of students at my age. And, you know, my mom's like, oh, you know, Will, you're, you're, very, you're a very intelligent person, extremely intelligent. Um, you know, you're supposed to be some... A brilliant type of person type of thing and um, but then when I go back to school I was still failing miserably my teachers hated me and I really just didn't get that and I think I just slipped deeper and deeper into this self you know disbelief or you know no confidence in who I was or what I could achieve if I did have that, you know, desire to want to achieve something. So, you know, that was probably a real setback for for a while there. It's so disheartening. And, you know, you would think that we were talking about something from a really, really long time ago and that these days everything's gotten better and it's not like that for kids, but we know that that's not the case. We have more knowledge now. I mean, obviously you're twice exceptional or something like that. And yeah. Do you think that's got to do with you know what I was referring to before with the memory you know and and intelligence I mean we know now that being dyslexic we used to call it illiterate and awful things like that and and think people were slow and you know awful awful we know that's not true now and do you think that this memory is like you know how you can remember so much more do you think that that's like a, almost like not a compensation but what what is that tell me what you yeah, think that is it, it could be something like that like you know and and this was the funniest thing like when I was made out to be this stupid person in school I never felt stupid if that makes mm. sense because like mm. I would do so many things and I was so creative and I was a real leader in what I did a lot of the time and you know, uh, you know, there there were a lot of people who did like who I was as a person. And, you know, it, it, I don't know, it just, um, I, I really don't know the memory thing to tell you the truth. I, it's, it's mm, just it's been something though. I've yeah. always, cause I, I remember I would explain and I could like break things down to my, like, I'd speak to my mom about something and I would break it right down because a lot of the time, and this is the thing, Some people will try to, you know, lie about something. And I'm like, hang on, no, don't you remember this, 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 and this? And I can even break it down into what, what, when a person walked through a room or what was sitting on a table and and things like that, where other people just wouldn't know that type of stuff. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. I really do. And I reckon there's so many kids that are misunderstood that are like you. Oh, yeah, totally. There's so many like you out there, isn't there? And can you talk a little bit more about how this, your self-identity has developed? You know, how how authentic do you feel you are these days compared to 
those traumatic days of finishing school and and what happened next? Oh, look, you know, the, the, the journey has been so difficult and even building this, like my business is so difficult in itself. There's times when I'm like really up and then there's times when I'm really down. I think the biggest thing for me was, you know, once I left school, I had I had a huge, you know, I developed a, a really huge drug problem before I ended school. Um, and that was because I could just black out what, everything was bothering me and, and it wasn't the right direction to go. And, you know, I really had wished that maybe at school there had been, you know, more direction for me back in those days where um, now I've identified that there's, you know, you can take so many different pathways once you leave school. I think the thing that really changed me was that once I finished school, I still had my drug and alcohol problem was, was a real problem. And I had that for probably 10 years, probably the the hardest one was probably trying to kick alcohol. Don't get me wrong. I still enjoy having like a wine here and there. But back when I was younger, it was like, okay, I've got to have a wine, but I've got to be drunk, you know, where now I can have a wine to relax and maybe I could have one or two glasses and be right. Mm. I got to a point that especially after school I got I got a job um, working in a warehouse just unloading containers and then I got my forklift license and then you know built my way up to supervisor and then you know I was up to like a management type role by the age of 21 which is quite young at the time because I'm dyslexic I have to approach things differently and I was like yeah but I'm still getting things done really well And then I remember people used to say to me, oh, my God, Will, it it blows me away how well you do everything here and and all this. And And I remember thinking to myself, thinking, you know what? Yeah, I can do this pretty well here, but, you know, I, I, I'll never do anything else besides this because I'm dyslexic and, you know, I, I could never mm. go and do extra study. So I was my own worst enemy there for a long time. But then I got to a point in my life where I had a few things happen and I, I was really down at the time. I was, my drug habit was just going through the roof. I just remember thinking to myself, I've really, I've really got to do something. I, I needed something new. I needed something fresh. And I, I just said to myself, that's it. I'm, I'm going to go traveling over, over the world. Pretty much saved up a whole bunch of money, sold my car, packed up my stuff and just moved overseas to, to the UK where I knew absolutely no one. Just started living over there and working. So, you know, I think that was a huge part of my life because... You know, for the first time in my life, I I had to stand on my own two feet. It gave me a lot of confidence, especially in who I was as a person, because I really learned, especially overseas, because I had to make new friends that I was a cool person. You know, people liked who I was. I'd gotten to a point where I wasn't really meeting new people and I was just like, it was it was all new to me and and i it was just really cool and fun and i and i and i got my mojo back again mm. it just so happened when i was overseas um i got offered this um really good job to be training people in business and leadership and um how to like run warehouses and all that type of stuff and i was like 
oh yeah, I could do that. And 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 like part of it was like, yeah, you're going to have to travel all over Australia to do it. Mm. You know, in an environment where it was a professional environment, I was probably around people who, um, you know, were very positive in 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 a lot of areas. So it really built my my confidence there and I did and I noticed that I started to change but the Mm. only problem was I was still hanging out with the same people so I was still involved heavily with drinking alcohol a lot on the weekends Um, even during the week sometimes I would you know we'd have drug binges some weekends Um, you know, and I, and the thing was, I was, my career was really going up, but, Mm. you know, I learned that, you know, I had to change that environment altogether if I really wanted to excel. So that was where I got to a point where I was like, that's it. I need to get rid of my friends. I need, they're lovely people, you know, Mm. but I, um, I had, if I wanted to, you know, really get somewhere in my life, I really had to change my environment. So, that was a key point. And it's really funny now when I explain to people what I used to be like and, and all that, because back, back before I went overseas, like I had dreadlocks, like all the way down. to oh, my wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all that type of stuff. And, you know, I was, a, I was really out there and maybe we should show some photos when we <laughs> to show the progression. <laughs> and it, it was, um, yeah, once I changed that environment, it was really, it was really interesting because when I, you know, developed and all this, and I explained to people what I used to be like, people would be like, what, are you serious? Mm. And I'm like, what, can't you see that? And I'm thinking, I'm just a completely different person now, you know? So that was a huge, big turning point for me back then, changing my environment, who I was around. I can hear that's a key thing changing the environment Mm. um which is what this podcast is about as well oh i was just going to ask you um you know i know we talked about this last time that Mm. and and i mentioned that i always think of my son because Mm. he's 18 and going through these years right now Mm. and I, i i would love to know what you think um parents listening teachers listening and people who are working with kids who are like you were, mm. what they can do, because it's like watching a train wreck. Mm. You can't fix things. You can't, um, mm. you know, you can't tell them what to do. They know best. And, mm. you, you know, you can't just make them what you want them to be. They're their own pe- person. Mm. But you also can see so many things that need to happen for them to shine. How can we, what do you think, what was missing for you or what, what do you see now in young neurodivergent people that you're working with now, which I know we're going to get to more yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I often think about this because I'm not a parent myself and I suppose I need to sort of approach it from like my perspective and, and what it was like when I was that age. And like, I suppose, you know, young kids, especially around 18 and, and all that type of stuff, they don't want their parents telling them what to do. No. My parents, my parents used to tell me what to do. And, you know, I would probably do the opposite a lot of the time, you know, and mm. not that's not to say my parents are lovely. My parents are the, you know, the best parents out. Well, for me, they've, they've been the best yeah. parents, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, and I don't think the way that they parent, parented was, was bad at all. 
um, they were very supportive. And even when I was going through um, those tough times with like my drug and alcohol abuse and all that, they were they were always still supportive in in what I done type of thing. Um, you know, and I, I, I and it's so hard it's so hard to sort of say what we should do exactly because everyone's different. You know, my personality could be different to say your sons, for example. I, yeah. I, you know, and it was really funny because my partner and I were actually talking yesterday, and she was talking about how she went to school with this um, this uh, young girl, and um, and she's this young girl's probably like thirty something now, but you know, this girl got all these great grades. She studied and became like a like a physiotherapist or something like that. And um, she got involved with the wrong crowd. She had a, a huge drug addiction, was caught with like a ridiculous amount of like um, drugs in a hotel and was sent to jail for a while. Um, you know, she um, had a kid um, to, to someone and, you know, her life went completely off rails type of thing. Um, and, you know, I think, and, and I've seen, I'd seen a lot of that, especially when I was growing up as well. And, you know, some people do have those real addictive personalities where, you know, sometimes it's hard to get them back from whatever direction they're heading in type of thing. Mm. Um, but, you know, for myself, I think I've always not had an addictive personality. It's probably because, I don't know. I'd always get to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm I'm sick of this now. And like I didn't mention it before, but there's I have a high feeling that I'm ADHD as well. You know, mm. so I don't know if that's part of my ADHD that mm. you know that whole drug addiction thing just be, didn't become fun anymore, um, and I just got sick of it type of thing. Um, but you know that was that was sort of what I got to. But I think like the thing was, my parents were always supportive all the way, you mm. know, and they still are, especially with my mental health. I'm always speaking to mom and my dad when I'm sort of down and all that type of stuff. So, you know, really having that place where I can feel comfortable to talk about those things, pardon me, right. um, is really yeah. important. Yeah. So it is really hard to answer that question just because everyone's different. Yeah, but you are giving an answer and that helps us because I just feel it's really hard for us to hold our nerve, to be honest. You know, when it's your own child and I'm sure other people would agree with me, it's it's really, really hard when it's your own child to just sort of take that deep breath and go, I can't control this, so I have to just let them grow up um, but then be there to support them. And I think that was the thing. I think I, especially like I was the oldest. So, you know, my parents were learning a lot with me. Um, they were learning a hell of a lot. And, um, you know, I think, I think they probably did just get to a point where they just had to let me do um, what I needed to do type of thing. Um, mm, mm. Because at the end of the day, you know, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. If that makes sense. Would there have been anyone else you would have listened to, any other role models or were there, was there any of those sort of what we call lighthouse teachers, anyone that was there that you looked up to or you respected? You know, at that point of time, I don't think there was. You know, it was all work, which 
I really didn't like because it was an environment where the bosses would you know yell at you if they were in a bad mood or you know it was it wasn't a good environment to be working in so mm. you know I wasn't I didn't have too many role models in regards to that period of my life where you know you could go work in some workplaces and you've got heaps of great role models which was probably what I had when I come back from overseas I had all these great role models who were really great people and really showed me that, hey, you know, you are a great person type of thing. But back mm. then, you know, you know, especially after I left school, I was I was off rails, you know, I was off the rails. And, mm. you know, I'm just trying to think back to it. It was just pretty much about hanging out with, and, and this was the thing, like when you're in that environment, you're hanging around people, not because you like them, you're hanging around with people because they might be able to help you score certain types of drugs and all that. Mm. So I remember th- sitting back thinking, why am I hanging out with this idiot? This person's a, a you know, a, a, I don't like this person, but, you know, you hung out with them because they were able to score for you or whatever like that. And, you know, yeah. I look back at it now and it's just like, oh, my God, just so it's almost depressing when I think about it. So just amazing though, amazing Mm. how far you've come. Maybe Mm. we should move a bit more to that, talking about um, like employment and um, your passion and interest and and where you're headed with the Neurodiversity Academy. Um, Actually, our discussion today has been a bit different, which I'm glad actually, because it's neurodivergent people who are growing up and going through that. So I think what you just shared is just so helpful and so insightful. And thank you very much because you opened yourself right up there and it's really appreciated. But thinking a bit more about like you've you've moved now with all this life experience and um, understanding your neurodiversity and your neurodivergent conditions, Mm. um, you know, you've developed this Neurodiversity Academy. Can you Mm. tell us about why? Why have you done this and and what is it about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so pretty much what the Neurodiversity Academy is, it's it's going to be a a career institute and you know we want to help people get qualified in certain areas we want to help people get um you know really good jobs you know get that start in really good jobs um you know we want to educate people around you know neurodiversity um you know hold events conferences all that type of stuff and really open people up to what neurodiversity is Now, one of the biggest things, and this is the reason why I've sort of headed in this direction, was, um, you know, my background, like I spoke about before, is is training and education. And one of the things that I noticed when I was, um, you know, especially when you're you're employed in training and education, you, um, you pretty much get qualifications thrown at you. Um, to complete. So, you know, I remember, you know, I had hardly any qualifications when I first started. Now I've got, you know, that many qualifications. I couldn't even name you all of what I've got, which I never thought I would ever say at um, one point. But um, I remember when I, um, you know, especially when I started to, you know, because what I used to do, I used to do a lot of like, motivational talks around being dyslexic and 
you know, career progression and all that type of stuff. And so, you know, I started to become a real, you could probably say champion um, for, you know, the correct support and even knowing our rights and responsibilities as well. So if someone doesn't present me something correctly, um, you know, I will say, hey, look, no, I need it like this. Or, hey, look, I've got this problem. What can we do to to solve that. For example, I remember like when um, I had this job and I said, look, you know, they were doing all this stuff by like email and I, I just knew to myself, I am going to stuff this up, you know, because it was just in a way that wasn't um, wasn't um, to my strengths type of thing. And I remember saying to my boss at the time, I said, look, I'm dyslexic. I do struggle with certain things. Um, you know, um, I, so I might need, I might need help in certain areas and all this type of thing. And, um, so I remember, and she's like, yeah, yeah, not a problem. Let us know and blah, blah, blah. And then, so, you know, there was a few times where I'd go up to people in the workplace and I'd be like, look, um, can we find another way that I can do this? Because I'm dyslexic. I really struggle with that way. And they pretty much just ignore me. And then just keep, you know, just pretty much say, no, just do it this way because this is how we all do it. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, I I had a few swear words in in my mind and I won't repeat what I said in my mind, but, um, (laughs) you know, I was just really ticked off that there was no consideration for what it is they could do to help me. And then, you know, I remember speaking to my boss and saying, look, I want to learn some new things. Can you give me some more responsibilities? And, you know, I remember the boss was like, okay, we're having a meeting. Will, we'll get you to do the meetings minutes. And I'm thinking, (laughs) you're giving me the meetings minutes, you know. And what I learned Mm. was, you know, a lot of people just don't get neurodiversity. And if you haven't been trained or you're not, you know, neurodivergent yourself or you know you're not um you know you don't have an understanding of it so for example a parent would probably have a very good understanding of it compared to someone who has nothing to do with that side of things you know you're not going to understand it you know so that was one thing that really stood out to me and I was like and I even remember sitting at work one day and I was like oh and and that was that was another thing because I was starting to get into business and I was starting to like build my businesses and all that and I remember I'd employ um, business coaches and all that and I used to like go to my business coaches and say look I got this great idea Um, I want to do this and that and they're like oh no 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 you can't do that and I'm thinking why not you know and and I was like damn I really wish I could meet a a business coach who was like neurodistinct, who understood who I was, maybe able to introduce me to some tools that can help me succeed. Um, you know, and when I mean tools, I mean like things like Grammarly or, you know, certain um, uh, text to speech or vice versa or whatever, you know. And there was just nothing. I would Google it, there was nothing. And I was like, oh, you know, it was really frustrating. So that was where I was sort of like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try and like become that, you know, I'm going to have to find out what it is I need and, and all those types of things. And mm. then I want to, um, you know, cre- create that. 
So as I sort of started to research more and put myself out there, you know, I started to realize that, you know, what was involved and, you know, I learned more about the neurodiversity community, um, what wasn't happening, what workplaces weren't happening. And then even within um, uh, the training and education space, I was starting to learn that, you know, I would, you know, apply to do a course in something like say, I don't know, let's say a diploma of leadership, for example. And then as part of like signing up, you would have to state um, if you have a disability or anything like that. And, you know, I made sure I ticked that box and then wrote in there, yes, I'm dyslexic. I'm going to need to have extra help. Now, when someone actually marks that, as per like the Disability Discrimination Act, and I can't remember the, the like the Disability Discrimination Act in education or whatever it's called, um, I remember it like says that if someone marks that they've got a disability before the course, someone has to approach the student and find out um, what they need help with, where they might struggle. And then during that, the whole time, they need to have reasonable adjustments in place and they need to have constant support all during that journey. And, you know, a lot, nearly, sorry, not a lot, but every time I signed up for something, the you know, nothing would happen. I would start the class thinking, oh, okay, I'm, no one's approached me about anything and, and, you know, this and that. And then you know, I was just like, oh my God. And then what I would do then, because I knew my rights, I knew my responsibilities, I'd then be like, send them the Disability um, Discrimination Act. I'd be like, and I'd kick up a stink just to prove mm. a point. Mm. Um, I'm like, you, you guys don't have a clue. I said, here's, I, and I'd send them my enrollment form and it's got like everything on there. I said, you've got this as per the Dis- Disability Discrimination Act. You haven't done this. You haven't done that. Oh, oh, we we didn't know. And I said, yeah, you did. It's right on the it's right on the form here. And it's like, oh, then it would just be getting palmed off to other people. So I got to a point where I started to realize that you know a lot of these education um, places have no idea what to do when um, you know certain people who may have maybe you know neurodistinct what to do. And I was like, I'm like okay, you know, what I might do, I might start my own, you know, college where we can, um, it's set up around um, neurodistinct people. So, you know, if someone comes to learn with us, there's not going to be this, oh my God, I need to, I don't know what I'm doing or, you know, it's, they're going to feel comfortable. They're going to be in this environment where, um, people know what it is, what they need. So what we want to do, we want to actually, instead of um, the student adapting to the learning, we want to adapt to the student, for example. So the other way around. So a student may have the option. So for example, my friend, she's ADHD. And if I send her a video recording about a, a teaching or something that we've done, she's she just struggles with that big time so what we'll do a lot of the time is send the transcript and then we'll like put the powerpoints in that transcript and then she'll just read and she's actually a speed reader 
and she will go through that within four minutes. And it could be a half hour like transcript. And she knows every little bit about that. So that works for her. Do you That's know what I mean? That's her strength you've used. Yeah. So, and yeah. you know, so, so this is where it's like, okay. And you know what? To get the transcript, it's not actually that difficult. Um, you just have to run it through like things like Otter and stuff like yeah, that, you, where it just you know converts it directly. Yeah, exactly. Mm, you know, mm. so it's not that difficult to have these reasonable adjustments. Um, I think just what the problem is with a lot of these schools is that they don't know what the reasonable adjustments are, you know, getting a student to stay back later and, you know, sit there mm. doing the same thing and reading it slower. That's not the answer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Look, what I'm hearing here is there's, I've written down three words. I've written down recruitment, adjustments and adjustments and self-advocacy. And to me, those three words can be used in the like school education environment mm. and also what you've been talking about, which is the employment mm. environment. Um, recruitment just gets replaced with gatekeeping and gatekeeping is what happens on enrolment to schools for children with disabilities. So the recruitment discrimination that happens at that stage is just like when a school says, sorry, we can't cater for your child and they can't come to this school. So to me, it's like you've identified, that, again, it's very similar to what Samantha Nuttall was discussing mm. and I know you know she was on the podcast a few episodes ago and I called it the new frontier. This is the new frontier of what happens after school. Um, it, this is, it keeps going, guys. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. We have to keep advocating. We have to help our kids to learn how to self-advocate and we have to utilise groups like this Neurodiversity Academy to provide that um, support. Well, the, the thing is, I think the thing is that, you know, a big thing when I was in school, it was like, look, if you don't do well in school, you're, you know, you're never going to be able to go to university, you're never going to get a good job, you know, all this type of garbage. And it's like, you actually can, there's just actually different routes you might have to take. Yes. Uh, and it was really funny, because I do volunteer work on Friday nights. And I was talking to someone about the exact same thing. And I had never even spoken to her about what I do. And she said, yeah, like, no one cares about like what grade you got once you finish. Maybe they'll care a few months after. But really, once you get into the big wide world of work and all that, no one cares, you know. And like, and it's like, yeah, exactly, you know. So this is where, you know, and this is what we want to try to do. Like maybe someone does want to go to university. So through our Career Institute, we might be able to provide certain qualifications that will help them get their foot in the door to university if they didn't get the marks they thought they were going to get. Um, you know, we want to help, we want to help people get rec recruited into, you know, good high paying jobs eventually you know like we've all got to start from the ground up yeah but yeah. if they can get their foot in the door somewhere you know we want to do that rather than going okay um you're dyslexic so we're going to get you a job in i don't know construction not that construction's bad but like if someone's capable of doing bigger things why not try to help them get into those areas I got you. And I understand what you're saying 100%. Yeah, it's about not narrowing the 
the um, future aspirations based on disability because that's discriminatory and yeah I've got friends who failed school and they're doctors now do you know what I mean so if you fail school that doesn't mean you 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 will never be anything I know um, people there's just as well different routes you gotta, you, there's just different routes you got to take you know and we we want to we want to discuss what those routes are you yes know? and right. make that possible not just discuss it so is that how it's going to work? You're going to take on clients as such? Like what do, like thinking of the people that are listening to us now, what, where does this fit into their life? Yeah, yeah, good question. So what we really want to do is really get, we really want to get the large corporate organisations on board first because what we want to do is, so for example, if we were to say, okay, we want to set up the college first, right? We get all these people qualified, um, you know, we know that they're brilliant, all that, but then we have nowhere to send them to. Do you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, okay, so what we want to try to do is get the corporates on board first. And what we really want to do is help them build neuroinclusive workplaces first. So, you know, everything's all set up. So they've got training of, you know, and it depends what the workplace wants. Um, you know, it could be training of all staff as in what it is that neuro, what a neuro-inclusive workplace looks like. Maybe their management have an understanding. The recruitment process, we train them on what the recruitment process is. Um, so a whole range of things need to be done there, which will make those workplaces neuro-inclusive. And to tell you the truth, like with a lot of these workplaces, they're probably already doing a lot of things that wouldn't be too difficult to make their workplace a neuro-inclusive workplace. Mm. So that's what we want to do. And then once we identify that, yep, this workplace is uh, a neuro-inclusive friendly workplace, we will then feel safe sending people there for for jobs, for example. You know, because there's no point us just getting whoever and then sending people, you know, recruiting people to certain companies where they're set up for failure it's just not going to, you know, we're going to be back at square one. So that's going to be a big process too. But what we want to do as well is find out from these corporates what job roles they've, they're going to have on offer so we can then potentially do qualifications in those job roles so we're sort of, you know, working hand in hand with those places. And who knows, they may even be able to do some work experience with some of these um, organisations and so forth there. Win-win situation. Yeah. And I, I love that word neuro-inclusive. You use lots of different words. I don't, you might not realise it. But... I think it's just like what, what I think it is, it's just um, they're just words that are common to the workplace. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And into the corporate mm. world and all that. So, you know, for a lot of people within that corporate space, they're probably words that um, are used quite often anyway, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, and they're, they're easy to understand what they mean, you know, neuro. And, and look, I, I think they sound really cool. I think neuro-inclusive sounds cool. So do know? I. I really love it. <laughs> you know, so I don't, I don't, you know, I reckon it sounds cool. Yeah. Well, look, that's been very interesting hearing all about that. Thank you so much for sharing that. We're kind of getting towards the end now, so... Um, I have one final question for you and then, of course, feel free to talk about if you, if you feel we've missed anything. Yep. Um, I like to ask everybody about 
all, all my guests about mentors and books and resources because part of this podcast is not just about chatting but about providing resources um, and materials for people to use in their own advocacy throughout their life. So can you tell us if you have any? Yeah, look, I think like, you know, I'm so lucky, especially with our, um, with Neurodiversity Academy, I know loads of people all over the world. So I'm really lucky that I've got a really large network of really knowledgeable people around neurodiversity. So, you know, I, I don't really have like one sort of mentor type of thing, but you know, I do, you know, one person I really do, um, I really enjoy reading her stuff is a, a lady called Dr. Nancy Doyle from the UK. Um, she's, I'm pretty sure she's ADHD and I'm not sure if she's anything else, um, but um, she does a lot of research-based um, stuff around lots of different areas of neurodiversity. She's also writes um, for Forbes magazine so that's published all over the world around neurodiversity. So she's got a really, a lot of good stuff. And what she shares is right on the money. You know, she's no, you know, she, she said she's, it's exactly right what she's saying, you know. Um, and it makes you sort of think, ah, okay, yeah, I see where she's coming from. Um, but, you know, probably one of a really good research, uh, resource that she released um, a few years ago, I think it was in, 2019 um she was doing a whole bunch of stuff with universal music and um they did like all this research for um about building a neuro-inclusive workplace and i think the resource is called universal music creative differences it's like this report that you can download for free and it talks about every little step that you could do to set up a neuro-inclusive workplace. So, you know, it's, it's real. And, and then she's got, she shares a lot of evidence within that type of stuff. Um, so it's a really good read. And I honestly, I always like refer that to people when um, I, um, I um, speak to people. So yeah, that's probably one thing I would probably stick to there. Excellent. Well, I will look that up and and attach that to the episode. I will. Yeah. Anything else or anything else you would? No, honestly, I I really can't think of too many other things. There's just so many people I know. I'm honestly, I just can't wait to to get back into um, public speaking and all that again shortly. And I hope like the cool thing when I was public speaking, I used to like speak with like a lot of other really you know renowned professionals and all that and it was sort of funny when I first started public speaking because I was sharing the stage with like these real world leading doctors and all this type of stuff and it was it was nerve-wracking but I, I'm sort of realized that hang on you know you you know some cool stuff reason. as well yeah so um it's not so bad anymore but um I'm hoping next year I should be able to um, really get in touch with some new cool people. Well, I hope that we can share that. Mm. Actually, sorry, actually, it just came to mind. Another one, I, uh, a lady called Dr. Helen Taylor. Now, okay. she's done a whole bunch of research around uh, like uh, uh, neurodistinct leaders and people within business who have really like um, gotten 
up there and they really credit their, you know, neurodivergence to, you know, to their success a lot of the time. So, yeah, she's got some really cool stuff as well. Oh, excellent. I will look that up as well. And I'm not sure if you're on in the um, the Facebook group or not, but um, we'd I'd love you to be part of the community and, and so that you can share some of these when you are doing a public speaking um, tour or whatever it is that you mm. get involved with, share information about the Neurodiversity Academy and how the community can get involved with it because... Um, yeah, it sounds totally. like it's what we need. Yeah. Well, we that's really the thing. We we this. really hope to be holding a lot of events next year. Obviously, this yep. year has been a bit of a write-off because of a lot. I don't even have to mention why. No. But um, <laughs> um, so next year we're really planning to um, hold some events and all that type of stuff. So we really Wonderful. hope, um, you know, a lot of the community can come and attend. And we really want to encourage um, you know, uh, neurotypical people to come and learn about it as well. Yes. You know, yep. I think that's yep. going to be key going forward. Um, it's not just about us as um, neurodivergent people convincing us how great we are. <laughs> um, you know, um, we really need to convince others how great that's we are. That's right. Well. That's right. And they are the majority, the neuro, those neurotypicals. And, and it's about inclusion. And inclusion means that we all, get along together and mix yeah, them together. Yeah, and understand so. why we're doing certain things that way or how we can best bring great ideas to our workplaces or whatever that might be. Yeah, we do have to make it interesting for everybody. It's we so do. true. We yeah, do, it's we do. Yeah. Oh, well, that's all very good. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add or do you feel? No, I think I've got everything there now. I really that's can't awesome. think of anything else. Well, thank you so much, Will. I'll sign us off. Not a problem. You, you hang on there for a second, but I'll sign us off from the podcast now. And thank you. You're my final episode for yes. my first year ever. Sa- saving <laughs> so, the best for last, right? I did. I did. And you, <laughs> you'll be there forever. And, nice. you know, I mean, we, we recorded it twice. So yeah, <laughs> shows you how that's much it. I wanted you on. That's it. That's it. Fingers crossed this is all good. Thank you so much, Will. I'll sign us off now. Thanks, everybody, for listening and Happy New Year. Bye. Acknowledgements. Thank you to Carla Cushell of Carla Cushell Creative for the podcast logo and the website. Editing by Matt Cushell. Images and episode quotes are the work of Jazzy C. Music is also by Jazzy C. Finally, a big thank you to my friends and family for encouraging me. As always, thank you to my partner in everything, Ash Cushell. And remember, just be nice to one another.